This is Women Who Start Up Radio, podcasting from the Mile High City, Denver, Colorado. With 300 days of sunshine, the highest percentage of high school and college graduates in the nation, lots of women entrepreneurs, and more microbreweries than any other U.S. city. Women Who Start Up Radio brings you knowledge, insight, and inspiration from women entrepreneurs and founders. Here are your hosts, Lizelle Van Buren, founder of Women Who Start Up and CEO of Effectively, and Krista Morgan, co-founder and CEO of B2B Investor. Hey, Lizelle. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Um, always good to see you. And you. I hear you're a bit sick this week. Yes. Uh, it's gotten the better of me. Cold. Head cold. You know. Yeah. I'm going to Anaheim tomorrow. All right. I know. It's very exciting. Going to Anaheim to speak at the Natural Foods uh, Natural Foods Expo West, all about fundraising. So I'm going to take all these crazy lessons I've learned fundraising from angels and share them with a group of largely women. Really? And one of the things I put in my presentation, which is my favorite bit, is that uh, an excerpt from Amy Cuddy's TED Talk, you know, her like power poses. Yep. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to stand up there and do a power pose yep. on stage because... I really like that TED Talk. I love power poses in general. I'm an advocate for it. Before you get on stage, do this, do the Wonder Woman and the, uh, yeah, you the know, Superman. Yeah, or, or the Superman. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You can't see me in here, of course, but <laughs> hands over your head, Superman style. Yeah. So, um, episode three. Here we are. I can't believe it. I'm kind of excited. Me too. Uh, we have a theme today. Like we're. Thank God for Leah, <laughs> our, um, one of our producer extraordinaires. Um, so our theme is managing conflicts and legal issues faced by startups. And we have an incredible guest in the house today, uh, Catherine Stanton, an innovator in business law. But we're going to get to her later on. First, you and I are, you know, going to chat about some cool stuff. Um, so you're heading out of town tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I just uh, wrapped up 10-10-10 here in Denver for the past two weeks. Um, and if people don't know what 10-10-10 is, um, they can learn more about it at 101010.net. It's uh, probably one of the coolest things that have like happened in Colorado well, in a long time. And it was started by Tom like a, Higley. Tom Higley, who's a successful entrepreneur out of Colorado, and he just wanted to kind of come up with a new way to launch new startups, right? Well, I'd say this about Tom. <laughs> One, he's incredible. I've known the guy for like three plus years, maybe him and Jeffrey Nathanson, his yeah. um, right hand man. Um, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's launched huge, massive, cool things and um, been very successful, and, and he's had some failures, but mostly extremely successful. And about three years ago, the birth of 10-10-10, I suppose, or the seed got planted of 10-10-10, and basically he didn't really know what it was gonna be until it evolved into what it has become. And what it has become is he, so the 10-10-10 team picks and finds 10 prospective CEOs from across this country and invites them to come spend 10 days in Denver, Colorado and tackle 10 wicked problems. Now this um, kickoff, it had a theme, which was health. So they're gonna do health and food and beverage and you know all sorts of different thematic um, programs, but this was health and um, health tech, if you will. And um, 
you don't know, like no one knows what the 10 wicked problems are until day one after you have said yes, after you have said I'm committed and you have no idea what the wicked problems that you're going to be presented with. So that was amazing. Mm. So day one, we were here in Denver, Colorado at the McNichols building. <clears throat> and, um, you know, there was these um, problem validators. We're talking about some of the most accredited people across the country, including like Colorado Health Foundation, et cetera, who presented these um, intense problems, hmm. and um, it was intense. All, everything from Alzheimer's, childhood obesity, antibiotic resistance, health data, lots of data, data, data stuff, health maps, um, unbelievable problems in health that um, they are pretty much putting on the docket, so long story short, pretty much putting on the docket for 10 prospective CEOs to tackle over the course of 10 days to see if these disruptive serial entrepreneurs can bring some new ways to solve these problems. And seriously, hands down, life-changing, uh, entrepreneur-altering, and um, no one probably would have expected this, but it was a little bit of psychotherapy too. I have never cried that much with other entrepreneurs in my entire life because I was surrounded by entrepreneurs of all walks of life, people who have succeeded m on mass scale and people who have failed on mass scale. And never have I been in a program where it also provided an opportunity to kind of mourn your failures and successes equally a little bit hmm. to make room for a new, like I use the metaphor of climbing the mountain, you know, set on your uh, journey for your next summit. Incredible. Couldn't recommend it more. I mean, it, it was amazing. That, uh, well, A, it's awesome that you were one of the 10 <laughs> CEOs. Yeah, I don't know what they were it thinking. Sa it says <laughs> a lot about how uh, how great you are. And, uh, and you know, I think... I think entrepreneurs need that, and it's all and like I think it's great that that program provided it. I actually went to my first, um, went to like a <laughs> test. So the entrepreneurs organization. Yep. I I'd been th I've been thinking about membership, and I got invite. I guess a big part of their organization is these forums, right? You you join a forum, and every month you meet with like seven to ten other entrepreneurs, and it and it is about confidential but like real sharing of like your personal life, your business life, your family life. Mm -hmm. And so I went to one of these test forums, and it was amazing. Mm. Like it was amazing, and I I really. I so enjoyed the experience and I think as entrepreneurs we just don't like you just sometimes you just want to also hear what other people are struggling with and yep. it kind of helps you put your own struggles in perspective and yep. I think it's especially useful um I actually think you know there were a lot of women in my forum and it was great it was really honest and yeah people so I believe it I believe it was a great experience yeah I mean for me, that experience with 101010, and kudos to Tom Higley. Yeah. He, uh, <coughs> the prospective CEOs were um, five men and five women. Um, very eclectic bunch, like super eclectic, all walks of life from all over the country, from freaking Montana to the Valley, um, Boulder, few were in Colorado, etc. Yeah, Florida, you name it. Um, I was surrounded by some cool people. And let alone then you have this surrounding element of um, just 
the brains that I was surrounded by. It was it was it was it was pretty amazing. It was pretty amazing. So a huge hat tip to to Tom Higley, and I'm I feel. I think I'm kind of still a little bit in shock about the whole factor that I'm a part of that 101010 family now. And what's and the next step? Yeah, on so it now kicks you off to a nine month journey. You kind of have a nine month launch pad to figure out from basically what you learned during those 10, 11 days. If you wanted to build something, it's all there. The problems are there, the research is there. I would put money on the fact that the money is there because these are real people, problem advocates that are um, stating these huge problems. So that's the beauty of this being completely different than anything else that exists out there. Usually you go to an accelerator, you and I come up with an idea and we go try and explore how to solve that problem for people. This turns that up, up on, up, uh, yeah, it turns, <laughs> turns it, it on his head, head. Yeah. right? Whereas you get presented with these problems and now you have to see okay one does my life's work my passion my outlook kind of align in the trifecta that goes holy shit like I should work on x like I didn't realize uh, I could be disrupting health data in in a fascinating way based on being a technologist being in the startup space da -da 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 -da. you know what I mean mm -hmm. and the funny thing is is about the health problems I actually think they're like the health data and health mapping and putting a human being at the center of their health. It's not brain surgery. Like the doctors are so solving for brain surgery. What we are trying to implement is technology that we already use. We're already solving big other problems. We're just not doing it in the health space. So the biggest thing I took away is that health, the healthcare system uh, they call it an unsystem. Like it's 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 so broken that it's painful. And of course, now that my eyes are open to it, I hear it and see it from everyone I I'm in touch with. Like everyone, just like everyone, everyone's like, well, just you know. Now I'm just picking up on all the little nuances of just being a person in this country when it comes to their health. Dude, I am from <laughs> Canada and I lived in the UK and I think the health system here is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe how uh, how broken I often think it is. I get that. I think the only I think the challenge I would have and it's the same knowing like Starting P2BI required a lot of capital and a lot of people and it wasn't something I could just kind of start. Right. And I think I feel and, and it's daunting. Like if I were to do it again, it would be daunting now that I know how hard that really is. Yeah. And I think I feel the same way about the health space. Like I just think the capital required to really oh. get something started in the health space, you just, you can't, you need a lot. You need your tech, but then you also need researchers and right. you just need a Policy, lot. payers, yeah. providers, the yeah. infrastructure, that framework, it's, it's kind of scary. Yeah, it's, I don't mean scary like whoa, scary. It's like it's frightening. It's that massive, and mm. the fact that it's that broken, it's um, yeah, it's not it's not very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm I feel privileged uh, to be involved in that because <clears throat> I feel like a lot of us are are onto something and could be onto something. So I'm hoping that you know when I kick this cold and I can catch up on another week's worth of rest and sleep, um, I'll be taking a, like a real deep dive into pretty much all of that stuff and uh, 
hey, you never know. I mean, basically, walking out of that experience, we can start about 100 companies. Um, so, and anyway, enough about 10, 10, 10. <laughs> <laughs> enough about 10, 10, 10. But I think we <clears throat> should talk about some of the great companies that we're crushing on this week. Yes. Yes. And, and we're, we're, we crush on a lot of cool, cool companies, startups, products. Tell me what you're crushing on this week. <laughs> uh, well, two, I am definitely crushing on Mattermark. So yep, Danielle, Danielle, I have not met Danielle, she but I know she just got investment from Brad yep, Feld and I've been reading all her stuff and it's like every time I look at Twitter or look at a link and it's something from her and she just seems so put together and like smart and articulate and I, I have a huge crush on her. Yeah. She's like my, she's my current like CEO idol of That's the awesome. moment. And, um, and Danielle's, I mean... From what I know of her, I was supposed to uh, link up when she was in Boulder last, and um, it was the weekend I, I also wasn't feeling well. God, winter's kicking my ass. Um, <laughs> but uh, long story short, you know, she's just pretty down to earth. I've been kind of having a virtual conversation with her probably for the last couple of years, and um, it was amazing to see that the Foundry Group, um, and specifically Brad Felt, got as super eager excited about what um she's doing now because uh you know i followed her from all the way from twilio oh really yeah and then she did something and it didn't quite bake and then boom it was kind of the evolution to Mattermark. so i can i can i can double on that yeah she's 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 cool uh she's pretty cool and she's pretty down to earth by the way she would have no problem like having coffee or saying hello. I, if I knew that, I would have mentioned if when you were in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago. But she comes to Boulder now. I, I would say probably once a quarter. So All I'll right. make it happen. I'm gonna. I'm I gonna think we should have her in the house. Well, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. We should definitely. Yeah, because I know she does uh, um, this week, uh, this week in startups or whatever with Jason. So, yeah, Danielle, this is your call. You're gonna be talking to us. <laughs> hey. <laughs> we love Mattermark. <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah. Right. And especially P2B investors. I mean, you folks need to be just chatting away. You're in the financial realm of all of this world. I think you guys would make great partners. You ladies would make great partners. Uh, what? Who else are you crushing on? Tell me. Uh, Craftsy. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So we're out. I think we talked about this last week, but we're out raising our next round, like our first round of institutional <laughs> capital. So moving from the angels into the VC world. And I really thought I needed some advice because I have no idea what on earth I'm doing. <laughs> so a friend of mine works at Craftsy and I just kind of emailed her and I was like, listen, what are the chances, you know, John would have a coffee with me and just sort of they've raised so much money and, oh and they're out of Colorado. And, yep. um, and as it turns out, so I actually had lunch with them today. Good for you. And with John, I, so John and, and Josh and yep. their finance, like VP of finance. I mean, it was unbelievable. They all just took the time to have lunch with me, share their stories about raising capital. And it just reminded me what a great community we have. And also how, like, I just asked, and they said yes. And it, like, was a, not a big deal at all. They were like, yeah, this would be great. Like, we'd love to talk about our experience. They oh, were so cool. happy to be sharing. That's cool. And I already think they're amazing. And their offices are cool. And anyway, basically, I love Craftsy. So if yep. P2BI doesn't work out, <laughs> I'm going to ask John for so a So I have a story. I have a story. <laughs> so right at, the end, right at the beginning of 2012, 
um, when I went out on my own, one of the first meetings I took, and actually that may have still been December or January, I don't remember, but it was right when I was starting to set sail or starting to climb that mountain of my own entrepreneurial, uh, like real, real, you know, journey. John Levesay was one of the first meetings I took at Simpo's, and they were looking for a head of marketing. Really? And it was, Craftsy was like maybe like, I don't know, 20 people, and they were right above Paris on the Platte still, so we're, they were right there on Platte Street um, in their prior building. And uh, I remember sitting there with him, and uh, we chatted, and you know, he told me about California, because I think he's from San Diego, or I don't remember. But amazing guy. We, you know, kind of left it, and he's like, well, so it sounds like you kind of want to go do your own thing. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, this sounds pretty cool, and da-da-da. <laughs> and needless to say, I, I chose to do my own thing, and I tell a lot of people that. And, uh, you know, and um, a lot of people go, holy shit, you made the biggest mistake of your life. Like, you, you could have potentially really, you could have owned and, and been maybe head of marketing and stuff. And, you know, I never look at it like that. I... I love when I talk to people from Craftsy because I've watched them grow so much and it is tremendous. But, you know, that was John's journey and his company and his growth. And it's amazing to see. And I'm so proud that he's a part of the Colorado ecosystem. Yeah. And uh, not a day, even though it's been hard as hell and lots of bootstrapping and plenty of mistakes and plenty, you know, good decisions and some money and lack of money and everything in between. Um, I'm still 100% sound with the decision I made then. But anyway, you brought up John from I, Craftsy, and it was just, I always bring that up. It's just kind of great, yeah. I hear you, I hear. Well, they actually said to me that they were super jealous of where we were today. They oh, were like, yeah. they were like, this is the, that's the best time. This time yeah. when you're 18 people, yep. and you're just hustling all the time and tr starting to raise capital. They yeah. were like, if we could go back there, you know, we would. Like, they talked about their dream <laughs> to build something really big, but... Anyway, it was great. Yeah, and so, good for you. They're amazing guys. I, I really like Josh, too. He, yeah. He was amazing. Just really great to talk to. And yeah, he, ga he gave me some real real advice. Cool. He basically, yeah, we were talking about our growth, and we've had like a month of sort of flat revenue growth after yep. lots of, um, you know, little peaks. Of, yep. Yeah, little peaks. And he said, just whatever you got to do short term, just sat like, even if you have to sacrifice some long term stuff to get short term growth to mm. go out and raise your capital, he said, mm. that's all anyone's going to care about. Mm. And so I took that to heart. And okay. I got to find a way to put that into put that into practice this week. Right on. Cool. Well, good for you. Well, thanks. Um, I'll just touch on a couple of my weekly crushes. Um, so I met Esther Dyson. Do you know Esther Dyson? I don't. Oh my God. Like the Holy Grail of all women, of all investment, angel. She's, she's, she's incredible. Not only is she smart as heck, she's more in the health tech space, I would say. Um, science, health, tech. She is on, I don't know how many boards. She has investments in, I, I can't tell you how many incredible health and some other startups. And um, she's just smart, down to earth, and it's been amazing. During this 10-10-10 experience, I was privileged enough to meet her and hang out with her and Larry Gold and Brad Felt. Um, what an experience, and um, oh my God. Thanks, Tom, uh, again for 10-10-10. <laughs> like, like, it changed my life. Like, I just, I mean, it's like amazing what, what uh, it's, um, so, uh, Totally crushing on the incredible work of Esther Dyson. Have so much respect for 
uh, what she's done. Um, I can put on the blog her website with all the boards that she's on, all the health startups that she has invested in. Um, another company that I'm totally crushing on, which was also introduced to me due to the fact that I walked through 10-10-10. Every single day during the 10-10-10 experience, we did a vi video like journaling, right? And this company is called Storyvine. And Storyvine is based right here in Denver out of Industry Denver, which is an incredibly awesome uh, co-working kind of ecosystem on a whole nother level. And long story short, Storyvine is amazing because they provide you a platform to help you tell the real, authentic, organic stories. And it was just brilliant to see that kind of evolve. Like all of us had channels and we were telling our stories over these 11 days. Brilliant. Check out Storyvine. Well, yeah, because it's like video templating, isn't it? Yeah. But in so, a really cool yeah, way. Yeah, they have a framework. Yeah. Every day you get the same questions. And, and you can do all sorts of crazy cool stuff. So, of course, Storyvine, I've asked them nicely before, but I'm going to ask I'm going to ask them again. Um, I want them to be a, a women who start up uh, sponsor because I want to start telling women who start up stories from all over the world. And uh, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't, wouldn't that just be freaking amazing? Um, so anyway, lots of love over to Storyvine. And uh, yeah, I mean, another cool app that I played with this week is called Meerkat. Um, live Twitter streaming. If you haven't checked it out yet, check it out. Uh, it's kind of crazy that Twitter hasn't thought of that yet, but hopefully they buy them <laughs> like next week because um, next week. when we kicked off episode three today, I was doing a quick little Meerkat live streaming and we had like two people from God knows wherever in the world, you know, watching live footage. Um, and it's just kind of brilliant if you ask me. I'm just like, holy shit, how did I not think of that? You know, <laughs> I was busy with all these other stuff. Anyway, we'll put all um, of my and Krista's uh, crushes of the week uh, on our blog. And um, I think we got to move on to some other cool stuff. All right, Lizelle. We have a guest today and a theme. Yes. So I think we need to get to it. Please much do. as we want to talk about companies we're crushing on yes. all day long. Right. So our theme is a conflict and legal advice. Oh, this but is not good. necessarily together, I don't think. Right. Could just be well, together. 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 Conflict <laughs> and legal advice. Because yeah. where there's conflict as an entrepreneur, there's likely a lawyer waiting in the hinges. I and we know. have one in the room. I do have a story about conflict this week. Tell me. Uh, we had like a dust up in our office this week. A dust up? Not a dust up. Just like a, a conflict, conflict between two people. And it's tough. It's like tough when there's only 18 of you and two people have oh, yeah. conflict. And That's sort small. of everyone kind of knew about it. And it was really, it was really hard on me too. Cause you just want everyone to be happy and love working with each other. And I really find it. Yeah. I can tell conflict kind of throws you off. Yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> and then, and then we had our first team retro and someone said, maybe it's too nice here and we got to be comfortable with conflict. Yes. I would and, agree with that. And it's a conflict real... is important. Yeah. I, I mean, conflict is human. I know. I mean, if we're all in the room agreeing, then somebody ain't thinking. That's my motto in life. Yes. That said, I think, and I wrote about it to the staff, is it, it is, though, we got to think about how we handle conflict. Because I think just kind of going out there and putting your conflict in the middle of the office for the world to see is maybe not the best, not way. The best way. Yeah. So. So how did you tackle it? Well, I mean, real briefly. <laughs> Well, honestly, we just like uh, 
ours was a bit of a funny situation. We ended up getting like feedback from different people who had observed the conflict. And then uh, my COO and I both spoke to each of the individuals involved. And, you know, and in the end, they reconciled. They actually reconciled publicly in the office, which was nice. So that people could see that they were moving on. But that's cool. I don't know. It's just given me. it's just given me a lot to think about. It's kind of yeah. what what are we going to do? What would I have done differently? You know, how will we handle it in future? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, just, this is the nature of the beast, right? Another term for CEO includes psychologist, <laughs> mediator, keeping shit together, people person, people manager, right? Yeah. I think it's just hard when you feel like you kind of contributed to the conflict just by virtue of being a startup and you're growing so quickly and you don't have time to communicate mm. everything to everyone all mm. the time. And some of that uh, lack of clarity leads to conflict. And you're just like, shit, yep. shit. Yep. That's kind of what I felt like. Learning and growing. Sucks. Okay. Why can't I just be perfect? Right. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I mean, you can be, but you can't. Sorry. <laughs> um, shall we? Take this conversation over to Catherine because we've got an amazing guest in the house and we want to introduce Catherine. I think we should. Okay. Throw over that mic. Let's do this. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Lizelle. (laughs) Hi, Krista. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. This Um, is my 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) all of us, really. Um... So for the listeners, Catherine is a woman who startup member, and she's been coming for several months. And you know, you're a great contributor to the community. I love having conversations with you. Um, I really appreciate you, you know, being diligent about joining us. Um, but enough about that. If you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us who you are and your background. So. Full name, Catherine Stanton. I'm a startup attorney here in Denver, um, and I consider myself something of a conflict resolution evangelist as well. Mm. Um, mm. I uh, started off my career as an attorney in big corporate law, you know, mm-hmm. or working for the, the multinational corporations that happen to do law of the world, um, and uh, eventually found myself here in Denver. And you know, there came a point in your career where you just kind of have to think about who you are as a lawyer. You've learned enough to have an identity. And um, I, I decided that that world wasn't exactly where I fit in. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's um, big and sophisticated and well-moneyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to be honest, small business and startups is where the ideas are and the innovation and the energy. Yep. And it's where I saw myself, you know. Cool. And on top of that, um, we've all got our perceptions of lawyers, and yeah. they're not all super positive. Um, and I, I stumbled across a quote one time from Abraham Lincoln, said mm. something along the lines of, lawyers should be peacemakers and mm. good people in general. Mm. And that's what he strove for. And, you know, somewhere along the way, some of us might have lost sight of that. So yeah. that's something that I try to incorporate into my practice in terms of promoting conflict analysis and resolution at the point of startup and during growth phases. Cool. And in the end, it's a money-saving tactic. It saves heartache. It saves stress. It saves time. Yep. Um, and so it's it's got a, it's got a lot of upsides. Um, but it's not something that we all think about when we're in the fervor of building a startup and 
moving from step to step and growing faster than, you know, you can catch up with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's amazing. And one hell of an awesome way to uh, kick us off here. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, you heard Krista sharing just a little bit, you know, she's three years into her startup and things are starting to, you know, come to surface as the team grows. And, you know, it's interesting that you just mentioned, um, you know, for startups, and, and you correct me based on your experience, for startups, a lot of the times people are getting started without a great legal foundation. And that's not necessarily a very good idea. Um, what are like some legal issues that every entrepreneur should watch out for and like tackle and be mindful of and consider when they're setting sail on entrepreneur land. <laughs> right. Well, there are some um, legal hotspots that you can focus on. Um, you know, some things that can help you avoid conflict later on, at least the kind of conflict that's going to um, break your startup, you mm -hmm. know, that's going to cause you to be one of the 80% that fail. Mm. Um, I don't know where I heard that statistic, but I think it's common knowledge or commonly understood that 80% of startups fail. Yeah. Right. And I, I read a statistic somewhere. Don't ask me where it was right now. Um, <laughs> that said that 63% of them fail because of internal conflicts in the management. Huh. Um, huh. So if you if you work all that math together, I think it comes out to something like basically half of startups fail because of internal conflict. Right. Um, so it's definitely something to look out for. And Krista's story is a great illustration of the kind of micro conflict that you have um, that crops up as a result of different conflict systems that mm -hmm. are at work in any business. You know, you, you have conflict that comes out of pressure, out of personality. Um, a bad day, bad weather. I mean, right. we're human, right? Right. So the minute you're plus one, there's conflict because there's energy. That's right. And there's different backgrounds and different walks of life. And now you're all under the same roof, hopefully going towards the same goals and objectives. But that's not always the case. And, and do you think that, you know, legal being a part of the equation for people starting up provides a better framework to kind of stay in that zone? Right. Well, lawyer's not going to be able to help you with the kind of conflict that, that Krista was, was talking about, but lawyers can help you with the kind of conflict that's going to tear your startup apart. Mm. So a few of the legal questions that startups generally face right, right off the bat, mm. um, one of them is formation. Mm. Where do we form our company? What kind of company do we form? Um, you could talk about that for days. Uh, you've you've got to look at it from an exposure uh, and liability perspective. Right. So, you know, any good lawyer is going to have you land on either an LLC or, or a corporation. And then you look down the road and you think, you know, what kind of company do I want this to be? Is, right. this, is this my lifestyle company? Am I going to just be awesome at making granola bars? <laughs> or am I, am I building some sort of technology that I want Google to buy or that I want to take public? You're going to form your company differently depending on what your goals are. Right. You know, if you want to get a bunch of investors, maybe you just go straight <clears throat> for a C-Corp because, you know, that's where you're going to end up anyway. You know, right. if you're going to be on your own for a while and, and you're going to, you know, make a go of it alone and bootstrap it, maybe an LLC makes more sense from a tax perspective. And mm -hmm. then you look at, at where everyone's big on Delaware. Delaware has great history. Um, it's got a great body of corporate law and it's got huge price tags on doing everything you could ever possibly want to do. For so, a lean startup, that's not always viable. Yeah. So when you see a lot of startups who are Delaware Corps, 
Can you explain to some newbies, like, why that is? Yeah. Why sure. is that, right? <laughs> it's because that's what investors want. Yeah. I mean, Krista can probably speak to that, too. But basically, when you're looking at um, where you form your corporation, the state makes a difference in terms of two things. One is cost of being incorporated there. Every state is going to make you file annual reports. You're going to have to file your articles, any amendments, um, and certain other documents. Mm -hmm. And every time you do that, it's going to cost you money. Right. I mean, it could be $1, right. $50, right. or $500, depending yep. on the state and that you're in incorporating in. Um, or forming your LLC. Yep. Usually LLCs are a little cheaper. Yep. The other thing that, that this where the state matters is the body of law that supports, um, you know, the kind of the, the corporate legal structure. Yep. So Delaware, a long time ago, got a great idea. Hey, we're going to make prices really cheap, and we're going to be really attractive from a tax perspective to attract a lot of businesses, and it worked. Right. And so then all these businesses are litigating in Delaware, and Delaware builds up this giant body of case law that makes it very clear what's going to happen in situation X, Y, Z, you know, one, two, and B. Right. And so when a corporation is having an issue right. with another corporation or with an employee or with a founder – you know how it's going to end hmm. um, by looking at the Delaware. And, and when you go into court, you know you know, kind of where the court's going to fall. Mm -hmm. And that certainty is has value, yeah. um, especially to you know, investors who are taking on a lot of risk. Interesting. Um, however, Delaware knows that it's now got that very valuable cash of case law, so the prices are jacked up and – you know, there's not necessarily a desirable, desirable tax structure for businesses anymore. Now you've got Nevada trying to follow in their footsteps. So a lot of people are looking at Nevada for incorporation. And uh, the main benefit there is that it's cheap and it's pretty pro-corporate. So um, they're building up their case law too. But really, most, most states, Colorado, Nevada, Delaware, have enough case law to get you by. Yep. And... Uh, you can always switch. Gotcha. So. Yeah, we're switching. So we actually incorporated in Colorado because it was like $5,000 to incorporate in Delaware yep. when we first started and we yep. had no money. And and then now as we go out to do our first VC round, we know that we're just going to have to pay to you know move the incorporation right. over to Delaware. It's just – but you can do it later and – um, I, I agree, though. It really uh, – I had no idea, but our lawyers – we'll talk to our lawyers. They'll be like, oh, this and that. And then they'll say, wait a second. You're not incorporated in Delaware. i right. got to go look at what the equivalent is in Colorado. So it's right. just every corporate lawyer just knows what the statutes are in Delaware. Yeah. They find it easier to work there. But, um, yeah, I, I think I think just get started. Yeah. <laughs> um, the interesting thing is, is the cost of starting a company in Colorado is really low. And so it's an encouragement um, to, to, to get going in Colorado. I mean, that's why you see so many small businesses kicking off. And um, But then there's an, an interesting shift that occurs because, uh, like you pointed out just now, about Delaware. So that's an interesting one. I wonder if Colorado wants to see more Colorado, you know, yeah, uh, it's, corps. I think it's I a bet. dollar to form an LLC in Colorado right now and maybe 50 to form a corp. Yeah, I mean, hello. <laughs> you know, and, and then you compare that to California and it's thousands, you know, it's like a thousand bucks or something. Um, so anyway, uh, where you start a company um, financially is impactful, right? So that's an interesting thing. All right. So other stuff, because, you know, we want to make sure that 
we touched on some stuff, you know, more intrinsically around conflict. Um, when you and I started chatting a while back, you know, I was just wrapping up a, a pr- my my last startup project, and um, we started talking about you know co- co-founders, co-founder disagreements, co-founder conflict. I mean, this stuff happens more than people maybe like to admit, <laughs> maybe talk about and share. Um, you know, because you, you're from everybody, you know, be careful about whom you co-found a company with, um, have your operator's agreements intact, have a, an attorney, da 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 da, da. Um, What have you learned from co-founder conflict? <laughs> what can you share, I guess, with other entrepreneurs about, you know, maybe they're thinking about co-founding, uh, a new venture, you know, what dots should they dot and what T's should they cross out you know yeah co-founders um and just management in general is an area that's ripe for conflict um you i like to compare starting a business to entering a marriage Mm -hmm. um you know and and the business is your baby Mm -hmm. uh and and if you guys disagree and you split up you got to split the baby Mm -hmm. and that can be a really messy and devastating process and the baby hardly ever survives uh, hmm. in that in that situation unless you've got mechanisms in place that dictate systematically mm-hmm. how that situation is going to be handled. So, so what I there are there are a couple areas where I like to say co-founders need to look and have really honest conversations um, while while they're drafting their documents. Um, one is in the form of equity, you know. You hear it all the time, vesting. you got to have a vesting schedule for co-founders. Mm-hmm. You, you form a company, and you're kind of proud of yourself, and you're like, yeah, I just I, I own 50% of this company. You know, I, I ought to own it. I'm, here I am starting it. You've got you've to look at it as, yeah, that's true for you, but, I mean, do you feel the same way about the co-founder? If that right. co-founder founds a company on Monday with you and gets 50% on Wednesday, quits, how mm-hmm. are you going to feel about them owning 50%? Right. You know, you – so the vesting schedule ensures that the co-founders stay attached to the company, they stay focused, um, and if something happens where someone has to leave early, you're not stuck with kind of like a dangling member who really isn't involved in the company and whose influence you don't necessarily want, right. um, keeping in mind that that could be you. Right. Uh, yep. so, sorry, Chris has got something. Full disclosure, I would like to say, not even full disclosure, just honest <laughs> disclosure, we we actually did that, did not vest early co-founders in our company and have just spent uh, over six figures trying to rectify the mistake three Oof. years in. So it is not... Uh, legally, you mean? Rectify it legally? Like, yeah. basically, because basically there's no vesting. We've had to buy back Oh. Uh, stock oh, yeah, at a very high price tag right. trying to negotiate valuation and it's been a disaster but we had this person with all the stock on the cap table yep. that hadn't been involved for two years of the company and yep. it's just it's a that's a perfect example i kind of can't right? believe that we didn't vest at the beginning yep so yes what vesting do th- what do you think of that Catherine? I think that's a classic example of <laughs> why you why you look at vesting. Um, you know, we hate to. We it's the same. It's the same as a marriage. You get into it on your wedding day. You're like, oh, we are so in love. Uh-huh. Like this. This is forever for sure. We are not going to be one of those fifty percent. Well, I mean, really, you are. You <laughs> might. <laughs> you might. It is. It 
if if you don't fail, you're def you're still definitely going to run into conflict. It is inevitable, and the more you avoid it, the worse it's going to be when it finally erupts. So, what you want to do in addition to vesting in terms of equity is think about okay, what are we going to do when there's someone who doesn't fit here anymore. Yep. You know, our creative visions or where we want to take the company, we're, we're diverging. Right. Right. It doesn't make sense for this person or that person or me to be here anymore. Yep. You know, what mechanisms are we going to use? So there's there's all kinds of things that you can put into your organizational documents. Mm -hmm. I'm going to rattle off a bunch of names. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's pro we probably don't have time to talk about all of them, but right. you've got things called drag-along rights, which means – if the person that owns most of the company wants to sell the company, everyone has to come along. Yep. There's not going to be a fight about it. You have tag-along rights. Mm -hmm. If the person with the most shares wants to sell the company, they can't just leave you leave you stranded as a minority shareholder with some random majority owner. Right. Um, you've got rights of first refusal and rights of first offer. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you've got two co-founders and and one wants to do A with the company and one wants to do B with the company, and they each own fifty percent, you know. How do, you, how do you solve that? Mm -hmm. Well, you can put in a, a right of first offer, which basically means, okay, well, if co-founder number one wants to sell their shares, then um, co-founder number two gets the right to give them the first offer. Right. I will buy your shares for $2 a share. Right. The catch is that whatever co-founder two offers, co-founder one has the right to say, no, but I'll buy your shares for that much. Yeah. So you can't you can't undercut. You've got to give them at least what's fair, probably at a premium, yeah. in order to affect what you want. And you know, it's it's a little bit of a steeper price to pay, but it guarantees mm -hmm. that you're not gonna you know screw each other over in the yeah. end, um, just because you've got conflict. So, um, I mean, this is good stuff. Uh, this is such necessary stuff. Um, I think the first time an entrepreneur tries to start a company. They learn all this the hard way. And you know that more than anyone, right? Uh, lawyers know that more than anyone. Um, the second time you've learned maybe some of the lessons, you're still going to screw up. You're still going to maybe make some mistakes. But hopefully you're smart enough to out, you know, have an outreach to a legal entity that's going to help you draft the right documents. And hopefully it's also someone that you trust. You know, um, I don't think all lawyers are created equal. You know, and I think that's why you have shifted your career as dramatically and maybe as, as you have. I, I mean, in, in context of whom you choose to work with. Um, here's an interesting question that I just thought about. I am curious about, in, if you've seen it, great. If you haven't, great, no, no big deal. But I'm curious about, in your work, do you find that women and men are different during these conflicts as co-founders, as entrepreneurs? And um, does any of that resonate? Have you had experience with, you know, two co-founders? One's a guy, one's a woman, or two or two women, or two men. And have you noticed any differences in your experience? I mean, I have. I'm curious if you have. You know, I I don't want to make any sweeping generalizations, just because every woman is different. I know some really strong quote-unquote masculine women yep. and and i know some really kind of feminine men uh, yeah yep men, no we're not generalizing men that are much more reasonable um yeah, femininity so, has nothing to do with gender right. masculinity has nothing to do with gender let's get that out of the way <laughs> but awesome. i think i think culturally mm -hmm. you know women um are are maybe raised to be a little more willing to collaborate and mm. compromise and i see women 
giving in a little more. Mm-hmm. But women are also usually the first to bring the conflict to the table and acknowledge that it's there. <laughs> you know, in divorce, most divorces are initiated by women. Hmm. Um, I little, did not know that. Little known fact. Yeah. yeah. And it's I, I find it to be the same um, internally with conflict in a business. Um, hmm. They're more willing to recognize it. Um, men sometimes in a very general sense, seem to take a harder line. They're kind of raised to almost believe in their opinions and decisions more. Um, And maybe that's how we're we're sort of cultivated in the business world as well. I think that it's evening out, though. Yeah. Um, You see a lot more women who have a lot of strength and a lot of conviction coming to the table. Yep. And so I really don't see it as much of a problem anymore. But, you know, it lingers. When I I quit – working for big firms to start a solo practice, there there were a few people that assumed it was just because it was a stepping stone to being a stay-at-home mom, mm. you know, which it's not. It's actually more work <laughs> than yeah, yeah. it was before, yep. you know. I mean, you know, entrepreneurialism has the illusion of flexibility. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, technically, I guess you're <laughs> flexible, but you have so much jam-packed into one day. Good luck, like, moving your arms and legs. Yeah, well said, well put. You have a question, Krista? So what's your vision for this new solo practice that you've embarked upon? So I would say that um, <laughs> right now my practice is has, has sort of a, a dichotomy going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm practicing corporate and securities law for startups and small businesses, and I'm incorporating peacemaking practices into it. I'm also practicing mediation. Um, I practice mediation in the context of divorce um, primarily right now. Mediation is something that is slowly gaining traction in the business world, and sometimes you'll see mediation clauses in contracts, but it's not a problem-solving mechanism that is in the forefront of most founders' minds when they have a conflict. They run to their attorneys, and, and I'm, I'm an attorney, so I... Mm-hmm. I'm kind of speaking against myself here, but once you once you get those attorneys attorneys involved in an adversarial position, it's hard to get out of it because you you kind of get fed the law, which makes you feel number one empowered by the law because they're going to tell you that it's on your side, and number two, it makes you scared yep. because it's something that you don't understand. And when we get scared, we get positional and we say, okay, well, this is what I want, and if I don't get that, then you know, so, sayonara, yeah. and we lose our flexibility. So Then it becomes win or lose. Right, right. So Not my, can we work this out. Right. right? My, my overall objective as an attorney um, and, and conflict resolution evangelist is to move mediation and just conflict resolution principles um, into the forefront of the business person's mind um, so that when a conflict arises, that's the first thing you think about and the first thing you try before you go and spend time, money, and stress on a more adversarial position. Yep. Litigation has its place, and it's very important. And the, the law is built up by very smart people who solve problems a lot. But it's always going to be more empowering and um, less stressful and less time-consuming and less, less resource-consuming to solve your problems yourself. I mean, I love this. Yeah. Me too. It actually just occurred to me, though, I didn't know that women uh, sort of initiate most divorces. But mm. if they do, we should do, I don't think we have time today, but we should do a session on, like, 
the legal implications in your startup of divorce and like because I bet that's I bet that's really oh interesting yeah yeah like what like what do you do yeah <laughs> I've actually got an article uh, on my blog on that <laughs> but um we'll it, can get, that it can get pretty <laughs> messy because your shares in your startup in your baby yep. are assets and if you formed the company while you were married or you were married for any period of time while the company was growing, technically half of that belongs to your spouse. And so you've got to do some negotiating to figure out how you're going to solve that. The best way to do it is with a business prenup that basically says if you get divorced, you can't use these shares that way. You've got to figure out another way. That's the operator's agreement? To do that. Yeah, you put that in the operating agreement. Which is great advice. You say these can't be transferred to your spouse in a divorce. Right. Basically, that's the gist of it. It's a lot more legally than that, but... Um, and, and you compensate with cash or yeah. some other asset. Yeah. Um, I would, I would love to delve into the mediation part cause it's interesting. I mean, we don't have, we're, I'm going to, I'm going to dive into a, another cool question, but I, I want people to hear the importance of mediation because I mean, I have personally, oh, I have had, you know, this is the nature of starting up. Uh, you get excited, you get passionate. Um, you put your heart and soul into it, you kick things off, and um, after a few startups, you understand better <laughs> than anyone that um, you put these legal foundations into place because you just don't know because you're sometimes you're not fortunate enough to start a company with someone you've known for you know 10, 15 years, okay? So uh, mediation is, is critically important. We'll share your blog. Uh, on our blog post for episode three. But I want to get to a couple of things that I want you to leave our listeners worth. So um, what else would you like to say to other women who are considering starting up? Any thoughts come to mind? Any things you want to leave from your you know, place of work, from, from, from a legal and working with startups now, right? You know, the only thing I can really say is just do it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, be wise and plan, get your vision, mission and values in line, know what they are. Um, I mean, th those are your, your compasses, mm -hmm. uh, know, know what you need to do to succeed as a startup, know what traction is, know how to prove your concept, you know, figure out what kind of people you need, mm -hmm. um, and then execute. Yep. And and get your your advisors, your your legal advisors, your business advisors, your tech advisors, your subject area advisors in line and and lean on them and then just go for it. You know, I mean, that's what startups are about. There's going to be a risk and sometimes there's no net. And that's what makes it exciting. True. But True. up there in in the stratosphere where you are once you jump I mean there's so much space to think and expand and innovate um, much more so than when you're grounded in some structure that already exists yeah yeah I mean we could sit here and talk with Catherine for days because you bring such an amazing um, important you know factor to the table for, for an entrepreneur but um, I want to make sure people know how to reach you how can people support you currently as you're making a shift in your career um, and how can they reach you? So do you have a website? Are you on Twitter? Can they email you? Where can they stay in touch with you? All right. So I am on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter, but okay. Stanton Law Firm, LLC, 
on Facebook. It's got a big picture of my face. So if you know me, <laughs> you'll know you're no, you'll know you're in the right place. My website is www.stantonlawfirmllc.com, um, and all my contact information is on there. Cool. But you know, more important than than contacting me directly for legal advice or or whatever is supporting the conflict resolution movement. Mm. Um, October in 2015 okay. is conflict resolution month in Colorado. No kidding. Um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a synergizer on the huh. sort of planning board for um, conflict resolution month in Colorado. And basically the objective of the organization is to raise awareness of conflict resolution in, in all areas of life. Yeah. Personally, I'm foc- focusing on the business and startup world. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I want to see us get a conflict resolution seminar at Startup Week. I want to see us establish conflict resolution clinics yep. at, at places like Galvanize and Industry. Mm. I want to make conflict resolution uh, training and information available to people. And then the best way to support that is yep. to do it. Yep. It's to take it seriously, put it in your documents, put it in your life. Yep. Keep it in the forefront of your mind as, as the way to go about, you know, healing conflict in your organization it's amazing thank you that's been amazing really really grateful for Catherine. um krista any final thoughts for for that i mean that was insightful as all heck i honestly (laughs) some of the best advice like having great lawyers in our startup and i'd say our first lawyers were not as good as our current ones has been um a game changer for me and we're actually very lucky that our firm kind of generally they all they will suggest non-legal uh you know resolution methods uh, first and foremost because no one really once you I agree with you once you go down that path it's hard to stop but I just think having a good startup lawyer is um it's really essential yep. I think if you're gonna like it's worth spending the money and and putting the thought into how you start your company I mean I would yeah. I would almost say that it's it's uh it's silly not to, and and you would, um, you would, uh, you would be shooting yourself in the foot tenfold if you're not considering uh, starting uh, on the right framework. You know, it's ha- having the right backbone, almost, if you will. Um, so we're gonna transition. What'd you learn today? <gasps> oh my god, I learned so many things. I learned that women initiate divorce. I did not know that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I learned um, I learned all about 10-10-10, which sounds awesome and I think is an exciting new way to start companies. Mm-hmm. And what else? I learned that was, that was it. That was it? Well, I mean, I learned lots of stuff. Yeah, that's true. Those yeah. are the big things. We kind of drank from the firehouse today. We I sure mean, did. We shared some cool things about companies we're crushing on. Mm-hmm. Um, you're traveling quite a bit. Uh, and you're kicking up dust again tomorrow, right? Again, Again, yeah. again. Okay, so we want to make sure that everyone knows um, whether you want to chat with us about conflict resolution. Um, you know, Catherine was our guest today, and she talked about some really cool legal stuff. You can reach us on Twitter, at Women Who Start Up. Use the hashtag Women Disrupt. We are on Facebook. Look us up, Women Who Start Up. Um, we need more followers on Facebook. Come on. Come on, join us. Um, and uh, if you didn't know, we've got one hell of a cool website, and um, uh, that is womenwhostartup.co, so .co. Uh, we have a contact form on there. If you are a female entrepreneur, you want to share your story. I don't care where you are. You could be in Kenya. You could be in 
New Zealand, we really don't care where you are. If you are in Colorado, that's great because then you're going to be interviewed with us, Krista and I, in-house at P2B Investor. But if you are remote, global, we're going to, you know, use that cool thing called technology and we'll do it remotely. So that's a beautiful thing. Go to womenwhostartup.co, reach out on the contact us form, please. Um, Keep the conversation going online. We want to hear from you. These are women who disrupt. These are women who are sharing great ways for you to not screw up as much as you possibly can uh, as you're starting up or considering to start up. Uh, Don't forget to come and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you can never miss a show because they're all only going to get better from here. Yeah, I mean, if you don't notice by now that we're getting better, then (laughs) maybe you haven't listened to the first one. (laughs) (laughs) Baby steps, people, baby steps. You know, we're not production experts, but we are entrepreneurs and we're coming at you from, you know, from a real place. We do have awesome production people though, yes, let's helping thank them us again. out. So I think we need to thank our producers and fellow disruptors, Aaron Bassity, my awesome VP of marketing, and Leah Charney of Wide Focus. And our, you know, executive producer for Women to Start Up. I think it's official to, to call her hired. I don't know. We're still <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> no, uh, amazing. We couldn't do it without Leah and uh, and Aaron. And uh, thanks here from P2B Investors Office in Denver, Colorado. Remember, go do. Thanks for listening to Women Who Start Up Radio with Lizelle Van Buren and Krista Morgan. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to tell everyone you know to subscribe on iTunes. Check out our website, womenwhostartup.co, and follow us on Twitter at Women Who Start Up. And don't forget our hashtag, Women Disrupt. This has been a Women Who Start Up production. Join us next time for another edition of Women Who Start Up Radio.